everyone, Kitty here. Before we dive into the podcast, I wanted to give you a couple of reminders. The first is that we touch on a lot of sensitive subjects that could be possible emotional and trauma triggers for people. If there are any topics that you're sensitive to, we recommend that before you watch any of the movies or listen to our podcasts, you check the website doesthedogdie.com. Also, this podcast is not kid-friendly and not safe for work. Please listen responsibly. Finally, this podcast contains spoilers. If you're like me and don't like spoilers, please watch the movie before listening. Thank you, and happy haunting. This is Hounds of Horror with Max. Uh, what is a non-fatal murder? <laughs> Victor. No, you're no, stupid. It doesn't matter how close you live to your house. But anyway. <laughs> and Kitty. That's a lot. a lot of words for I'm trying something instead of porn. <laughs> Wireless mouse dongle. <laughs> That's going in the intro. <laughs> With absolutely no preceding information. <laughs> anyway. Let's try this again. Oh. Okay, go ahead. I'm Victor. I'm Max. And I'm Kitty. And this is Sounds of Horror, our weekly podcast where we get together and discuss a horror movie that we watched for some reason. It sounded almost like you said Sounds of Horror. Sounds of Horror. Which sounds like a <laughs> podcast where we specifically talk about the soundtracks in horror movies. <laughs> or we, we just play sound sound effects from horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> just find your inner center or something, I don't know. This week we decided to watch, I decided to watch because I had the power, the movie Winchester. Which was a 2018 film starring uh, Helen Mirren as Sarah Winchester, Sarah Snook as Marion Merritt, Finch Cicluna O'Prey as Henry Marriott, Jason Clark as Dr. Eric Price, and a plethora of other people. It was <laughs> directed by Michael Spierig and Peter Spierig <laughs> and written by Tom Vaughn and Michael Spierig and other people. And basically... Sarah Winchester inherits the Winchester Repeating Arms Company from her husband whenever he passes away and then spends the remainder of her life attempting to appease the spirits of lives taken by the Winchester Rifles. Fair summary. Yeah, it's pretty fair. Helen Mirren, she has been in many, many things. All the things, really. All the things. She was Victoria in Red and Emily Appleton in National Treasure, just to name a few. Sarah Snook was uh, Chivroy in Succession. Finn, I- I'm going to try and say his name. It's going to be a lot of fun. Skisluna O'Prey. I believe it's Sikluna. Sikluna O'Prey. He was only in like five other things. So. <laughs> Jason Clark has also been in many things. He was Ted Kennedy in Chappaquiddick. And he was also John Connor in Terminator Genesis. Eamon Farron was Kahir in The Witcher. Still is. Kahir in The Witcher. And then one of my favorites, Bruce Spence, played Augustine. He was the gyro captain in The Road Warrior. Was he Captain Mutton Chops or was he the tall butler? He was the tall butler. Okay. One other thing that I know him from going way back is Ace Ventura Nature Calls. He was one of the two, like, poachers, I guess he was, that was, like, in the employ of the one guy who was trying to overthrow the tribe that was there to gain access to their land or something. I didn't go back and watch it. Hmm. Ace Ventura, like, what's his name? Jim Carrey? Yes. Or Drew Carey. (laughs) <laughs> that would have been a very different movie. Um, surely that was after The Road Warrior. I think The Road Warrior was early 1980s. 
so I couldn't really find any phobias that were attributed to guilt necessarily. So what I did find and what I thought was interesting is there was a study done recently with an Italian study. So in this study, they actually looked at guilt being one of the attributing causes to uh, OCD disorders. So for example, losing a child to a preventable illness like the flu or something that could be transmitted through a carrier. So if you were to accidentally infect your child or a loved one who had a compromised immune system and they ended up passing away for it, that could cause you to constantly be aware of the potential of carrying germs, the potential of spreading germs, the potential of contracting germs with people, and could cause you to become incredibly over-obsessive with keeping clean, keeping your house clean, keeping the spread of germs from germs in general just being transmitted to people. So I thought that was kind of an interesting idea that guilt could cause you to become so incredibly obsessed with something to actually give you this obsessive compulsive disorder. But that was about it. No phobias really there. So jumping into the lore a little bit, the Winchester House is a real place. It is in San Jose, California. It was the residence of uh, Sarah and William Winchester, and it is almost as crazy as they make it seem in the movie. Not, not quite as crazy. There have been reports of hauntings, and it is considered to be one of the more haunted places in the United States. But its hauntings have been much more benign than the way that they portrayed in the movie. Of course, they definitely make a bigger deal out of things for the sake of making an actual movie. But Sarah Winchester did, in fact, keep building onto the house in order to try and appease the spirits of the people who were murdered or killed in some way or another by the Winchester guns. She did go see a spiritualist who told her about the spirits and told her what needed to be done to appease them. There are doors that walk out into nowhere. There are stairways that lead to nothing. There are so many rooms in the house that have virtually no purpose. You can actually still tour the house. You can only see certain parts of it. You can't see the whole house. But the gardens are beautiful. The house itself is beautiful. It's been very well maintained. They do have accounts of staff and people who have worked there, of them running into ghosts and that kind of a thing. And um, it's actually on my bucket list of things that I would like to do to see before I die. Cool. Or after you die, depending on your bucket list, your control over your <laughs> afterlife spirit. Well, yeah. maybe if I'm killed by a Winchester gun, then I will get to see it. I don't think there's a lot of that happening anymore. <laughs> get, getting killed by guns or getting killed specifically by Winchester <laughs> specifically guns? Specifically by a Winchester repeating rifle. <laughs> they don't make any modern rifles of any kind? Well, they do. They have some shotguns and stuff and mm. some other things. Smattering. The first thing I took notice of was when Henry says, he's coming for us. And I was like, whatever, man. <laughs> Just a brief spoiler warning. Please, if you haven't watched the movie, pause now, watch the movie, and then continue listening so that you can follow along with us without it being spoiled. Or if you don't care, by all means, proceed. We got to kind of a weird start tonight, so I feel like we're already kind of all over the place. But I did find the stained glass. It says, these same thoughts, people, the, this little world, wide unclasp the tables of their thoughts. Which is weird and kind of makes no sense. Yeah, it's kind of sounds like bullshit. It's either from the Bible or the Jungle Book. I'm not sure. <laughs> I stand by what I said. <laughs> All right, so... <laughs> Biblical bullshit is still bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it starts off with shots of the house and people working on the construction. One thing that I don't know about the actual lore is if she legitimately had people working on it 24-7. I didn't look into that. Basically, everything that I gave on the lore of it is stuff that I knew before I watched the movie. <laughs> but I do know that some construction workers ended up dying at, like, during construction, being killed at the house, that kind of a thing. 
just random occurrences. And it actually, the lore for the Winchester house actually helped inspire some of the stuff for Rose Red. Not 100%. That is shockingly a very different story. It's similar, but very different. It involves a dollhouse. Yes. It does, indeed. It does actually involve a little girl named Annie, too, now that I think about it, which is the name of Sarah and William Winchester's daughter, who did not live. Oh, yeah. But... (laughs) <laughs> also, I just want to say, if she really did have people working on that house 24-7, 365 days a year, or whatever, whatever she, however often she had people working on it, then she probably employed a small guild of carpenters, yeah, masons, uh, architectural draftsmen, you name it. Like, anything that goes involved with building a house, a structure in general, she probably employed tons of people and kept, like, probably a small guild of people employed in that town alone. Yeah. Which is pretty awesome. Also, if you have people working 24-7 around the clock, you're gonna have accidents. Yeah. It's gonna happen. Not saying that there isn't something supernatural going on, but also, people need breaks. Especially in that time, did... I don't remember, did the house have electricity? Yeah, it had the phone. So, I'm sure that it had electric lights, but I... They they didn't have floodlights like they do today for construction crews. Mm -hmm. Phones weren't necessarily electric. Oh. Shocking. Else were they powered? Oh, well... All I can tell you is our wired-in phone at my house when I was growing up, when the power went out, the phone still worked. That is actually because there's a very, very minute electric current that is carried through phone lines. So when the electric line is snapped, the phone line can actually still function. How about that? Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess they do wind up. Maybe that's the thing, isn't it? Like, Mm, they wind up. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Back when they still went to switchboards and you had to talk to the person and they would send you through. <laughs> yeah. Operator, give me uh, whoever. Yeah. And, like, they just happen to know who that is and, like, how to get them on this board. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but once again, if you're listening to this podcast for any information or detailed accounts of how to operate <laughs> very, very ancient technology, antiques at this point, really, you've come to the wrong place. Occasionally, if we know about something, we'll probably talk about it with great vigor. But it's not today. If you want to know about that stuff, go talk to AT&T. It still stands for American Telephone and Telegraph. (laughs) (laughs) They can tell you how to work that old shit. (laughs) But wouldn't that be a fun call? I've actually met switchboard operators. Obviously, they don't work at switchboards anymore, but (laughs) whenever I was working as a waitress, I met some people who used to work switchboards before it Mm -hmm. went to people calling directly to people's houses. So that was interesting. It's not actually that old. It's less than 100 years. Yeah. So... In the first scene is where they get right into the creepy stuff. Henry, who I thought was a woman <laughs> in the very beginning of the movie. <laughs> it's like a 13-year-old boy sleeping in his mom's bed. It's a weird. I thought they were both women. I was like, are these servants? Are they in servants' quarters? Are they forced to sleep in the same bed? What is happening? And he begins sleepwalking through the house. Or he goes into a trance. He's not really sleepwalking. And his mother, in her aggressively uncomfortable-looking nightgown, follows after him to find him and figure out what he's doing. And he's been possessed by some sort of demon, and his eyes are all milky, and he has a sack over his head. And he points, and he says something that I can't remember. And so that's, like, the first kind of creepy movement movement moment in the movie. I tried to combine those two words. I think Max said it earlier. <laughs> he says he's coming, or he's coming for us. Mm. Like Something like that. He points up the stairs. He's coming stairs. for us. Yeah, that's and not very... Like, that's not scary. <laughs> All your base are belong to us. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, and the creepy kid doing the pointing thing. We've seen that in so many movies. You can go ahead and stop. I'm going to be completely honest. Quick spoiler warning. Normally, I try to reserve my feelings for the end of this movie, for the end of the movie in general. But this movie had so many tropes that I kind of just started hating it, and I didn't stop. <laughs> and he fell asleep and multiple I fell asleep. times. And I <laughs> now I will admit I was also very tired, but I was also very bored because this movie was just incredibly predictable and had so many tropes. One thing that I wrote down was the the rattling. At one point, somebody's rattling on a a door, like a cabinet door that connects two rooms, and they were rattling, and I was like, I really hope it's just a weird occurrence, and he's going to, you know, brush it off as being no big deal or whatever, but it ends up being a maid, and I was like, you know what, could we, just for once, when you're lining up spooky stuff in a movie, can it actually be some weird unexplained occurrence that he can, you know, he can even brush it off and say, like, oh, it must have been the wind or whatever. It had to be explained. It had to be a maid, and it just... <sighs> yeah, they set him up in the very beginning with him taking the opium and <laughs> that's what i meant to ask is laudanum the same thing as opium laudanum Whatever. yeah yes it is opium i believe it is a tincture um, of opium I, it's labeled so poison fancy. though like the, the poison. first word that i saw on it was poison i didn't see what it what it actually was in the very first scene that we see it whenever he's with the call girls and <laughs> i was like poison they're taking poison what the fuck like i was so mad i was like why are these people literally poisoning themselves what is happening and i was so annoyed but so then i realized what was happening point. later but they actually labeled it poison at that point because they were literally giving heroin to everybody for everything i'm not sure about that probably find <clears throat> images of original what do you call it laudanum 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 bottles. Laudanum. Probably. Laudanum. Laudanum. Go, you know, go it's get the a same laudanum. stuff from uh, Amnesia. Oh, yeah, it is. It makes your heart stop bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> makes you die, though. <laughs> no, I think that, because I googled it, and I think that it said that it was basically like codeine, essentially. Which, yeah, whatever. But... <laughs> I don't I don't really understand. Like they were literally putting cocaine in everything at that point. Cocaine <laughs> and heroin. Coca-Cola. Yeah, like... we were born in the wrong century. <laughs> Seriously. You think you like Coke now. <laughs> Can you imagine me on cocaine though? <laughs> no. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. With you behind bars, probably. <laughs> I mean, you're probably not wrong. It's a tincture of opium containing approximately ten percent powdered opium by weight. Okay. He and and the girls that he's with are taking laudanum, <laughs> and he's doing parlor tricks and doing the whole fear is in your mind bullshit, and they start very early setting him up to be the husband that's in denial, that there's something haunting the place, because A, he's on drugs and already hallucinating, and B... <laughs> He doesn't believe in anything except for mental health. The one thing that I will say about this movie, about him in particular, is that he was a very progressive doctor for 1906. He's like, oh, they're mentally ill. They like, they need to be in a mental ward or they need to be taken care of by a doctor or they could potentially get better if they're given the right kinds of things. No, they would have locked people up in asylums for the types of shit that he was seeing people for. I think that was Big Mouth. They had, what is it, like an early 1900s doctor? And he's like, um, your bones are haunted. Drink this whole <laughs> bottle of cyanide and call me tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a meme that I saw one time, and it was like, it would have been amazing to be a doctor in the early 1900s. You have ghosts in your blood. Do cocaine about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
them setting him up for that that early on, but then making him out to see, seem like this really progressive, oh no, they're just sick, they don't have ghosts in their blood, doctor. But then, I don't know, he's just also kind of an asshole. And He's also like... He's like your dad that knows that one magic trick, and he's going to show it to goddamn <laughs> everybody. <laughs> and then when somebody knows it, he's going to be like, hey, stop talking about this anymore. Like, he doesn't know how to handle it. So he, he eventually shows that, that trick to Sarah Winchester, and she's she, she calls him out about the nickel in the end of it that's, like, mm. keeping it balanced. And I'm wondering if she had seen that trick before and she knew it, if she deduced it on her own, or if one of the ghosts was like, <laughs> like, I just, I don't know, they didn't really specify, but I kind of hope that it was a ghost being like, bruh. <laughs> that would be kind but, of fun. I, I think there was also supposed to be the intention, what's the word I'm looking for? We were supposed to get the idea from that scene that she has dealt with charlatans and people who are trying to take advantage of her, and she's able mm-hmm. to see through that, so that's supposed to make us believe a little bit more that maybe she knows what she's talking and about. And yet... She started this whole venture with a spiritualist. Yes. Yes, she sure did. Who likely was telling the truth given the rest of the movie, but we'll get into that a little bit more. <laughs> I actually, one of probably one of my favorite moments in the movie is whenever Dr. Price and Sarah Winchester first meet. And she has a very good sense of humor about herself and about the company And she sets out from the beginning showing that she's a very clear mind. Just the conversations that they're having, she has a very sharp wit. She kind of smirks whenever he makes a comment about the rollerblades. And she just is able... That whole interaction between them is just really, really good. Agreed. I think that the acting and chemistry between the two of them was very good. They had very good dialogue. And Um, the whole point of him being there is to assess her mental state. Yes. As per the other board members of the Winchester Repeating Arms Company. Yes, because they think she's crazy. Yeah. And she's spending a shit ton of money building and rebuilding this mansion because she thinks there's ghosts. And if he tells them that she's nuts, they'll give him $600. (gasps) Which I did... I did the Googling. I did the Google, and that would be around $17,000 today. I feel like back then that wasn't that much money for a doctor. I don't know. I don't know what what the... His house was very expensive, and he has hookers there. Sorry, sex workers every night. (laughs) But he's a mental doctor, and mental doctors back then, the head doctors weren't really considered to be doctors by a lot of people. So maybe he was struggling for work. They did kind of insinuate a little bit there that he had some debt because the gates whenever he first comes to ask christ to come with him he says how much and he was like no 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 like i'm not gonna go no how much do you owe like what debt do you have to pay off your mortgage to pay for these things and he was like three hundred dollars and they're like we'll pay six i'm a monopoly man (laughs) it almost sounded like one of those like pretend barter things in a sitcom where somebody's like $400. $400. No, only $300. And they're like, okay, $450. And like, and they end up, somebody ends up winning because they say something stupid. And that's kind of what it felt like. It felt really <laughs> stupid to me. I don't know. I did like <laughs> that he tipped his hat to each of the sex workers as they left the house. Yes. yes. I like that as well. <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. I also really enjoyed the costuming in this movie. They did a very good job with that, except yes. for the aggressively uncomfortable like. <laughs> I mean, they were probably time appropriate, but they just looked so uncomfortable. Well, they had to be made of barbed wire back then. <laughs> and <laughs> like pure wool, you had to be very itchy while you slept. Fiber asbestos. <laughs> yeah. They're made of asbestos. In <laughs> I do love that style, though. Like, when I first saw him, I didn't actually recognize him. The next scene we see after he agrees to go, he's in the carriage, I guess, a stagecoach. Yeah. Across, across the country, or across their very long, couple-mile-long driveway. Um, <laughs> and he's got the, I don't know what those glasses are called, but they're real small, uh, Leon the Professional style. It's not the style, but that's where I know him from. Very small lens glasses and he's got the bowler hat on and he's wearing the nice suit and like he just looks like i just really like that that style that theme i thought that so i agree i agree that the costumes i really actually appreciated a lot that seemed very true i i loved sarah winchester's whole thing if i could dress like that daily without having to be a rich widow just glide around the house <laughs> creepily yeah. in a long black dress with a black veil that i only take <laughs> off when i'm eating uh, <laughs> it's so good but during that scene was the first inkling that I had that something was up with the Shady Butler. Ah, oh, yes, Mr. Shady Butler. That was not my first inkling. <laughs> my, my very first inkling was that because he kind of nods to him to get him some whiskey and he just kind of like looks back at him and then doesn't do anything. And then somebody else ends up pouring the whiskey a little while later. It's not Shady Butler guy. I understand what you're saying and I do remember you saying something about it. I just took it as not being allowed to serve alcohol before she arrived yeah. at the table. Which is, I'm assuming, what we were supposed to be thinking. Because so. they set that up with Mary and Marriott as well. She was like, she wouldn't appreciate you drinking before the dinner hour. Oh, yeah, because he was trying to make small talk with Tweedledee and Tweedledoo. Mm. Two completely unnecessary parts of the movie, I think. Henry and Marion? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe they actually existed in real life and they wanted to, like, tip their hats to them a little bit or something. As you would to sex workers who are leaving the doctor's <laughs> house. Exactly. Trying to bring in your employee. I need to know what number box dye they used on that boy's hair because I really liked that red. <laughs> it was real fucking weird on him, though. It was. He looked like a living Raggedy Ann and Andy doll. We actually had our first real experience of a ghost before they went to dinner. He does his drugs. Oh, uh, is that when he's looking in the mirror? Yeah. I even counted it. I'm like, three times he's going to change. <laughs> Third time, yep. And then... Mm -hmm. Okay, was it the butler behind the mirror the third time, or was it just a random person? It was the person he saw in the mirror. <clears throat> well, nah. he saw a person in the mirror, but, like, it turns, and there's, like, a person directly behind the mirror. I think it was butler, but with his face blown off. Yeah. Like, later on. Yeah, that's what I thought. Not right then, because I didn't catch on to it just then. I actually, it kind of looked like Henry to me, but all fucked up. <laughs> and I thought one of the ghosts was playing a trick on him. But then it turns, and it sees the... The farmer with the pitchfork in the chair. Oh, uh, yeah. So he, he actually sees two ghosts right in that instance. Two ghosts! Two ghosts! Mm -hmm. I actually also was sort of keeping track of something that annoyed me a lot, much the same way you were, Max. And that was, it took less than 20 minutes for us to have our first jump scare. Yes. And we had two in less than 30 seconds. Yes. I'm just going to chime in with my typical thing of that I don't mind jump scares all that much. I wouldn't have been bothered by it if it hadn't become a theme that I'd say every, what, 15 to 20 minutes? No, probably less. Probably about every 12 to 15 minutes. 
We had a jump scare. Yeah, maybe. I mean, but... Yeah, I don't know. They were... It's my violin. They were pretty predictable, but I don't know. I don't mind jump scares, and I kind of appreciate them. I especially appreciate when jump scares are well done. And a couple of them were. Because the one with the person behind the mirror, like, you kept expecting there to be a person in the mirror behind them, and then... And then there, there was. And then there were, there were two. They were like, pa Like, here's two. Um, I thought that, that one was okay. I'm trying to think. Oh, the girl climbing up the stairs. That one was kind of fucked that up. That was creepy. Yes. It reminded me of Fear. Remember that game? I do remember that game. Fuck that game. I played through that twice, and I've never been right since. Remember <laughs> times in that game? You've never been right your entire life. <laughs> I, up until I was like four, I was doing all right. <laughs> and then you played Fear, and then you were screwed up. <laughs> anyway, sorry, what were you saying? That shit that? happened all the time in that game. Walking up a ladder, and like as your face comes over, like right there is the girl, and it's like, oh, shit. No, I guess it wasn't It wasn't Fear, because Fear would actually take a hold of the camera and be like, look at this. But in Amnesia, which is a game that was referenced earlier, uh, it's something Max and I have played and are terrified of deeply. But mm. in that game, there are times where the music will just hit a cue and the lights will flicker, and you know something. You know something is happening, but you don't know where or what. And you immediately stop and you look around the room and you try to figure out what the fuck just happened. And you'll see like an ankle recede into a doorway or a shadow disappear, and you're like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. Which is. Honestly, in my opinion, creepier. Fear was creepy, but Amnesia's creepy because it doesn't matter. It doesn't care if you're looking or not. It just fucking will go forward with it, whether you're aware of it or not. Are we reviewing games? We are. We're just gonna... Right now, in the middle. (laughs) So one of my biggest frustrations with this movie is our dear Eamon Farron, the creepy butler, has a shit... Crutler. An absolute shit southern accent. He can't do it. He is Australian, for one thing. yes. I, I could not make out his accent. <laughs> the first, like, half of the movie, Vic and I were sitting here going, is he, is it supposed to be German? I thought he was Austrian. Is it supposed to be <laughs> yeah. Swedish? And then he was like, now I'm talking like a southern male. Like, when he first comes out, he says something like, he's like, can I take your bag? Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. Is that? It was like he got voice coaching <laughs> halfway through the movie. But they were like, well, we can't reshoot all these other scenes. We already did all of them. So they just kept them. And... <laughs> Bless him. I am shocked that he got any other work after this movie. <laughs> At all. And yeah. here he got cast for The Witcher. And so, I mean... <laughs> a role where he doesn't talk until, like, episode seven. <laughs> no! And he also has a British accent in that one, which is kind of close to Australian. And so it's, I think, a little bit easier for him to do... I Like... You've either insulted Australia or Britain. I'm not sure which. Well, they maybe both. <laughs> it's, Australian accents are a derivative of British accents, and that's why they sound kind of similar. Yes. It's <laughs> like. <laughs> so, from what I gather, Australian is just criminal British. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Australians are so badass, though. Australians are badass. It's just. It was so bad. You know the bad, the bad asses Australian. Steve Irwin. Mad Max. Okay. Oh, uh, if we're going with real people, yeah, Steve Irwin. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't live in the realm of real things, so. All right. We went um, so completely opposite. <laughs> Mad Max, Steve Irwin. Ooh, did not get lined up there. <laughs> now I want to see a show with the two of them. Well, you can't. <laughs> um, oh, I'm sad. <laughs> wait, is Mad Max Australian? Oh, yeah. 
Oh. Mel Gibson, that was like his breakout role, was Mad Max. Was his accent better than it was in Braveheart? He's <laughs> actually Australian. <laughs> Is he really? Yes. Shut up. Oh, for the love of Pete, we have to have a conversation outside of the podcast. Please. Okay, all right. Matt, Mel Gibson is Australian. He played Matt Max. <laughs> what is happening? So I got real fucking annoyed with Price getting back on topic here. I wrote, this bitch really going to disobey rules on the first night and <laughs> leaves his room after dark. <laughs> but it's a good thing that he does. Yeah, he used to see creepy stuff. Well, and he saves the box hair kid. Box hair die. He does say box hair kid. <laughs> box hair, box hair die. And it's both. So they are very concerned for the child's health, and yet nobody's fucking watching him. Well, yeah. he apparently has some ridiculous ability to get out of places that he's supposed to be in. Through the fucking door. <laughs> well, I mean, there are secret passageways in their room. That's <laughs> true. The closet. But so he leaves that first night. He leaves. The night that Price is there, he leaves his room and he ends up walking off of a ledge and Price catches him. I don't understand how neither of them have broken bones because that was like four stories. Yeah. And then he got out another time and he must have gone out through the secret passageway whenever he was shooting at Sarah because the door was shut behind Marion and she and Price were talking in the hallway. Right. And then whenever the building started to collapse, (laughs) like... (laughs) He just kept getting out, and I don't understand. (laughs) But It's like when you first get a hamster, and you don't really understand how mercurial hamsters are, and how they can just get out of whatever the fuck they want to, in whatever small space they want to. I had a rat that would do that. Do you remember that? I do remember that. But yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Like kids are like rats, basically. She kept. I had this rat that kept getting out of her cage, and I couldn't understand. I was like, I lock it every day before I leave, and my roommate was real freaked out because she had male rats, and she was scared that we were gonna end up with a bunch of babies. Shit, Mel Gibson's not Australian. Sunny Days are here to stay at Sunshine City Design Company. Taplin has a line of charming pins and stickers available for sale, including her sassy fuck diet culture sticker. Go ahead and check her shop out on Etsy at etsy.com slash shop slash sunshine city design co. Or you can find her on Instagram at sunshine city design. The only thing that I had to add about that whole thing was that the kid's eyes were creepy because right after Price catches him, he says, I see you or something like that. And his eyes change back to normal. They go yeah. and then That was the only part in this movie that I really got into. and was like, oh, man, that's really great. I mean, okay, that's not fair. There were some other parts here and there. The majority of it wasn't super thrilled with. But I really enjoyed that moment where he catches him. And they're, like, he's panting and, like, holding this kid. And, like, he just, he's freaked out. And all of a sudden, the kid just looks at him. He's like, I see you. And his eyes flip back to normal. And, like, he seems all scared. I got really frustrated with the whole him being out of his bed scene because Price being out of his room. Thing because he's creeping around the greenhouse out in the yard and these two contractors start walking towards him and they're no more than 40 feet away and they don't see him somehow yeah. i was like no unless they're blind they definitely would have seen him and they just walk right past him and he while he's trying to like break into the greenhouse yeah. and he like leans up on the wall to act like he is supposed to be there like he's just super casual but also why does he think that they'll fucking care? Yeah. Yeah. Like, they're there doing jobs. Why job. is he hiding? Like, they're not part of the staff. <laughs> I guarantee that, well, I wouldn't imagine that they're hired by her personally, and they're not on the company. Like, they're not being paid as 
employees of that company. They're literally being hired to do a job. It would have made more sense. So a little while later, they have a scene with Captain Mutton Chops, and Price asks Mutton Chops if he can get into the greenhouse, and Mutton Chops tells him no, because that one that one's sealed, we can't go in there. And he seemed like he was kind of the foreman of the crew. He is. And he seemed like he was willing to follow Sarah's rules and probably had made his guys promise the same. That's a fair point. You're right. But it would have made more sense if that scene had been before that. You're right. He did kind of seem like he was the foreman of the crew and and very much seemed loyal to her. Real quick note about that. Looked awesome. The mutton chops? Yeah, he looked great. But the ADR in the first scene that we see him is fucking shit. Like, it is awful. And I know that I, like, get on movies about, like, the small nitty-gritty stuff, but that's really obvious. Like I didn't notice. What was the first scene that we saw him in? The one where he's talking to him about getting in the greenhouse. Oh. And he's telling him, like, no, you can't get in there, or it's been sealed off, it'll probably be broken down. They're the next burning week. the shit in the background. Yeah, because it's only going to last, it, like, it probably won't be up for a season or something like that. Yeah. And his, like, the recorded audio just sounds terrible. And for those of you who don't know or aren't, like a movie nerd, ADR is what they'll do if recording on set or recording at that time doesn't sound right or doesn't doesn't mesh right or does has like clips or pits in it or whatever. They'll record it later and try to match it up. But the problem is, if you don't layer the audio correctly, it doesn't sound right. It sounds like you recorded it somewhere else and put it in, and that's exactly what happened. Where it sounds really fake and hollow and weird, like it was being recorded in a box instead of being recorded out in the open, where sound can travel different has a different voice to it, for lack of a better term. So anyway, that just really bothered me because it sounded terrible. The rest of it sounded great, and he looked great. Like, he, I really liked that character. And he was I my favorite character. He was great. Like, he just seemed like he was down to party. Whatever she wanted to do, he grabbed a rifle, and he was there. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> she could have been, like, shoot people. He'd be like, all right, Mrs. <laughs> and on that note, there towards, like, the second two-thirds of the movie, I thought, is he going to be a main character now? <laughs> oh, no. He's not. Yeah. <laughs> But did they actually kill him? We had this conversation afterwards, and we thought that we saw him. I thought so, too, but I don't think that was him. Okay. Um, yeah, we didn't go back to They just hired a, a lookalike to come in and captain the yeah. construction worker. Another Beardsley McBearder nailer. Is that what it's called? Yeah. The <laughs> captain construction worker. <laughs> captain construction worker. Captain, captain. Special skills are cat calling and let's see. <laughs> oh, captain, my captain. Yeah. Leaning on um, shovels. So... Also, can I divulge once again? Mm. Uh, Mel Gibson, he moved to Sydney, Australia with his parents when he was 12. Okay. Is he is he a citizen now? I don't. He might, if he moved there when he was 12, he's probably a citizen at this point. So we might both be right. But regardless, he spent a significant amount of time there, so that's why his accent as an Australian is good. Yes. But... Where was he born? New York. Huh. Hang on, let me make sure. <laughs> uh... I will listen to whatever you say. I was fully willing to accept that he was full-blooded Australian. Peekskill, New York. Okay, Melbourne, New York. Uh, wait, where do we stop at here? Hang on. Because we started talking about Foreman, and then he got his floor desserts. Men. I don't like his voice, by the way. Mutton chops? Yeah, it was like, oh, I'm trying to be this guy. I don't know. I liked it, and I liked him. He was my favorite character. Oh, and right about here is where I wrote Ghost Butler. The next day... After he leaves his room on the very first night, he starts doing his analysis of Sarah, and they start having conversations, and he doesn't believe her, yada yada. And then the next night, he is supposed to be confined confined to his room. 
like he's supposed to be trapped in there by the butler, but they didn't like Neil's. By words. Bruce Spence? Yes, by the tall butler, not the creepy butler. The tall butler is sitting outside of his door, and dude walks out the window and like creeps across the, <laughs> the rooftops. Past how many other construction workers? Yeah. He's, I don't know. He's not very sneaky. They would have seen him. Whatever. Anyway, he gets over to the other side of the house, the side of the house that he's not supposed to be in, Sarah's living quarters. He goes up to her door again for the second night in a row. He keeps creeping in her room. She's in there with all these candles lit, and she's, like, sketching out a room. Imagine if she had been naked. No. No. If she had just been changing. <laughs> like, what would he have done? What was he expecting to find? Well, to be fair, he had literally just seen her three minutes before that doing her sweepy, creepy walk across the... Mm, I like that sweepy, creepy walk. <laughs> the floor. He's standing there watching her, and then the ghost that's in the room with her telling her what to draw makes all the candles go out and then pops up in front of the, the door. And at that point, I yelled, was that the butler? And Vic was like... I don't know. And then we rewinded it. And I was like, I'm pretty sure it's the butler. And then he said, I'm pretty sure it's just a monkey man. <laughs> <laughs> now, to be fair, I was asleep the first time she asked me. And the second time she asked me, I wanted to go back to sleep. So I just said the first thing that came to my mind. <laughs> it did kind of look like the kid in Jumanji yes. whenever he starts turning into a monkey. That was the first thing I thought. He looks but, vaguely like the Planet of the Apes makeup, or the, the masks. Yes, yep, <laughs> a little bit. And so he skedaddles back to his room, all freaked out. And then I think he opens his door, because may maybe the bells start ringing. Something happens, and he opens his door, and the tall butler is sitting in the chair outside of his room, and the creepy butler is standing out there. Mm. And he asks a question, and only the tall butler responds. Eh... Uh... So, like, there's a bunch of things that, like, going back, I'm like, okay. There were so, all these weird things that happened. I have a question. Uh -huh. Didn't the creepy butler carry one of his bags in? I don't think he did. Maybe I, he did. I swear I have a memory of that. Oh, we have it. I'll, we'll have to go back and look. Maybe we'll have a correction for next week. But Perhaps. I don't think that he did, technically. I think every time that we saw him, he just was not interacting with things. Mm. So there's this, this spooky twist at the end where you find out he's been dead the whole time. So it's it's very much spoiler about The Sixth Sense. It's very much like The Sixth Sense, uh -huh. <laughs> only not nearly as good. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate what they tried to do, and if you weren't paying attention the whole time, then you probably would have not realized what was going on, or if you were asleep. I was asleep, but I still knew what was going on. That's the problem. <laughs> Then, I, I don't remember where it goes next, but he's writing an assessment that essentially says that she's crazy. And that she's having hallucinations and that she isn't fit to run the company. So he's doing what he's asked to do by the rest of the company. Then she starts somehow in two days, builds the room that, what was his name? Brett? Ben? Ben. ben. Block. Um, mm. That Ben wanted her. That's right. I wrote, I wrote other ghosts seem to want bad Ben gone. And then I thought about Bad Ben, the terrible horror mm, movie on Amazon. <laughs> Maybe we should watch and the review The seven-part movie series. It's hilarious. So anyway, she gets the, the room that Ben wanted built, built in like three days. Well, I think a lot of it was just importing the cabinets and the guns. This was 1906. Shit didn't move that fast. And excuse me, she ordered all these guns, right? She wanted every model. Yeah. Uh-huh. Did they just happen... 
to have the one that Ben Block used to murder the people in their office? Yeah, it seemed personalized, didn't it? It, it was his gun. They might have honestly put it on display at the Winchester place because he... Well, that's super fucking morbid. It that's is, they but... Did. The I police mean, would have taken that, I think. This was 1906. They still did shit back then. Mm-hmm. Read Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> they keep everything, like Batman. Like Batman. <laughs> but, I don't know, maybe she called in some favors. It had been 20 years earlier, so she might have been able to get it back at that point. Not something the movie bothered telling us or bothered explaining in any capacity. Just... She actually specifically says at one point, his gun, as though it is his gun. Yeah. So, I don't fucking know. She figures out who the ghost is and conveniently has a picture of him laying out on the table whenever... Oh, because he threatened Price. That's right. He was leading Price through the house going, like, have you seen them? You've seen them? Da-da-da-da-da. The Winchesters need to die. And then he hits his head off of the ceiling because he's walking up the flight of stairs that doesn't go to anything (laughs) then he goes to warn sarah that her butler threatened her she's like what butler i don't know what you're talking about oh here's this picture of this guy that you're talking about it's a stunning helen mirren impression (laughs) (laughs) that's what i'm here for my impressions i'm so good at them i thought she was here (laughs) and so they figure out that it's ben and they go over the whole flashback of him being mad that his side of the war lost and his brothers died and blaming the guns instead of the fact that it was war and so they were real in the patronizing war. patronizing about that. He's mad because his brothers got murdered. <laughs> they <laughs> got pissed off. They got all shot up with bullets from just, the guns that... He was also... They were... Their side of the war was also shooting guns. That's the thing. That is the thing. It's not... <laughs> but they had the black Winchester. powder rifles. It's not the Winchester's fault that their guns weren't as good. I mean, there were thousands of other people cut down by any other gun. (laughs) So basically, this is the equivalent of a teenager carrying in his crappy store-bought Dell and beating professional gamers over the head with it because he was mad that he lost. Yes, essentially. That's really trivial. This is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) We probably shouldn't keep trivializing. Trilly Hill? It's a very thin excuse for a plot. It is. It really is. But the character of Ben seemed incredibly unhinged and probably had terrible PTSD, which wasn't a diagnosable thing back then. Although, that's... Sorry to interrupt, but she does say to him, do you have soldier syndrome? Yes. She says that to Price. is a thing, I guess, back then, where they kind of acknowledged it. Well, I don't think that she... I think she was referring to his drug use as soldier syndrome. The uh, self-medication. Oh, but that was Price. Yes. That was Price, yeah. Yeah, so she, I think that it was the self-medication aspect, not necessarily the PTSD. And so it, it's highly possible that that was a nod to future parts of the movie where, you know, there's this actual soldier that likely had PTSD. When you say that, I just picture, like, past and future parts of the movie... On Jabba the Hutt's air barge in the middle of the desert, and they're just mm, nodding at each other. <laughs> Dunt. Dunt. It goes on for like 36 minutes. Bump. Bump. So, Essentially, so, every person on the barge just nodded to every other person on the barge. Then they start trying to lock things down a little bit. Price, just before then, wasn't convinced that anything was going on. 
and got convinced just in time to not take Henry out of the house. Hang on, we're getting something on the okay. water. Uh, <laughs> Max just passed me his phone with the definition of soldier syndrome. My mobile telephone. Yes. Rampant alcoholism and drug addiction. See, the soldier's disease. It wreaked havoc on marriages. And <laughs> so did venereal disease contracted from prostitutes known as horizontal refreshments. Sex workers. Horizontal refreshments. <laughs> horizontal refreshments? <laughs> That's way better than sex worker. <laughs> like, a horizontal refreshment was murdered. We need to investigate. Like... <laughs> That might be the most amazing colloquialism I've ever heard in my entire life. Let me just get a horizontal refreshment real quick. Wow. Would you care to have a horizontal refreshment with me later? I am going to say that every day. It's going to be your pickup line. I'm leaving work. I'm going to have some horizontal refreshments. Dude, I saw you talking to that girl last night. Did you get any horizontal refreshments? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. Like, seriously, you, you don't understand. Our entire world has just changed. By... Even if this podcast goes nowhere, our <laughs> life is made better by that. Uh-huh. It is. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it does kind of sound like the this was most likely soldiers treating PTSD, and it was unfairly diagnosed as being a disease where they're apparently addicted to drugs, alcohol, and other opiates, and addicted addictive dick chemicals. But a dick. I, yeah, basically. Dick chemicals. And they're horizontal refreshments. <laughs> oh, God. All it's, right. I gotta get a t-shirt with that on it. <laughs> would you care for some... Like, oh, the twisty mustache guy with a monocle. Like, would you care for some horizontal refreshment? <laughs> I cannot wait. Oh, no. Okay. Uh, well, we should just call it there. I think yeah. that's the end of the movie. See you guys. Uh, I just have one more note, though. That would be an awesome band name. <laughs> That's the name of my next podcast. <laughs> it's not too late to change this name to Horizontal Refreshment. <laughs> I got to see Horizontal Refreshment live, man. It was amazing. Oh my goodness. Oh no. Oh, my head hurts from laughing so much. <laughs> All right. I stopped taking notes usually about three quarters of the way through the movie, and I don't remember shit about what happened. I took four notes for this entire movie. Because you were asleep. Also, I just didn't. Well, uh, now I forget. What are we up to here? All now? right, so they, they've they locked Henry in a room. We've established ghost butlers are ghost butlers. And, uh-huh. yes. A gutler. And, a ghost. Uh, they're trying to figure things out with him. Sarah and Price are in the gun room, the trophy room, and an earthquake happens. And they, the movie timed the earthquake to happen around all of these events, there actually was an earthquake, and at the very end of the movie, it does come up and say that it was actually one of the most deadly in San Jose history. So the house falling apart is a legitimate thing that happened, but it wasn't likely caused by spirits. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just saying. I'm glad that's been clarified. <laughs> it, it was an actual earthquake, and they didn't inflate those details for the movie. They just added the timeline in weird. Ben starts freaking out. Henry escapes. Mutton Chops dies. All of these things happen, like, at the same time. Henry's in the, like, the attic, basically. Which, I mean, there's, like, 14 attics in that house, probably. I think that was a basement, wasn't it? I don't know. There's, like, like a massive furnace. Oh, yeah, she did go downstairs. You're right, you're right. She goes to the same closet where he sees the the creepy girl crawling upstairs. Coming upstairs, right, okay. He frees the other ghosts. 
Ben, freeze. Okay, <sighs> this whole part gets really fucking convoluted and doesn't make any goddamn sense. So it seems like the other ghosts get freed. Price looks into one of the rooms and there's actually um, a slave in that room who's still in chains. Yeah, he's wearing that collar thing that they yeah. have, so you can't like run or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And super, super sad. Then he, Price ends up in the greenhouse. That's where, you would actually realize this earlier on in the movie, was that it was likely Ruby in the greenhouse because he had said that they had had one just like it. Mm whenever he was younger and there's the whole thing with Ruby and then they do the whole forgiving one another thing earlier in the movie. I kind of got the impression that that had been what had happened from the conversation that he had with Sarah because she brings up Ruby yeah. and he know she knows a lot more about him than she probably should know about him. But she knows that at one point, and this is kind of an integral part to the movie, Price was killed by a Winchester rifle. And he died for three minutes and then was resuscitated. And he... Did his bullet CPR on. Yes. Which, how'd they do that in 1906? Really good doctors or really lucky ones, I'm not sure. Like, if you got nicked by a bullet, you're probably a goner. Yeah. I don't know. But they did save him somehow. And he... Because he had been dead at one point, and because he had been killed specifically by a Winchester rifle, he had more connection to the ghosts than other people did, and he was actually able to see them. And he carried around the bullet that he had refurbished, <laughs> in Sarah's words, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that not... said always no, and forever. Let's get into that, because that's fucking stupid, because especially bullets in 1906 are going to work like fucking shit when they're fired. Yeah. And they're, there's going to be nothing left. At most, you could take fragments of it and melt it down with other components to then cast it into a new bullet. You're not going to be able to just put it back into a casing and have yeah. it reload it and be able you're, to fire it. You're not going like, to be able to repack it like you could with other bullets, like you can with current bullets. But whatever. I would so. Let's just say that he took the fragments and melted <laughs> them down. Fine. Whatever. Maybe that's what he did. Maybe that's what he did. She said refurbished. Maybe that's what he did. Maybe I'm being unhar un unduly harsh on this movie. But I'm but, but, so anyway, he ends up reliving the whole situation with with Ruby, and then um, he wakes up from, like, a fever dream type thing, and he's surrounded by all the ghosts that haven't moved on yet. Impression given earlier in the movie is that the ghosts that are in those rooms are ghosts that have not moved on because they're still angry with Sarah. Yes. That is the impression that is given. Like, they're violent and angry and are literally locked in those rooms and can't leave. I think what we were actually supposed to take from that, and this is just my opinion, is that they just weren't ready to move on. There just was something that was keeping them there. Not that they were violent, not that they hated her, not that they wanted her dead like that. Just that for some reason they couldn't move on. Right, and typically when you have people that don't really know what to do with themselves, you lock them in a room. Yes. That's just, yep. that's common sense, really. Yeah, really. Yeah. I mean, I do that with you all the time. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> I call it my thinking closet. <laughs> But then they help him. They guide him back, and the previously mentioned slave ghost actually puts the 13 nails that he needs on the, the step as he's going back up to find Sarah. Right. So at this point, it, it's reasonable to assume that they're supposed to be, we're supposed to 
believe that they're helpful and somewhat benevolent ghosts. And I don't know that it's necessarily that so much as it seems like maybe they didn't want Ben there because Sarah was legitimately trying to help them move on. And if Ben destroyed her and her family and the house, that couldn't happen. Maybe that was a thing. Perhaps. She does mention something about him disturbing the balance. Like, that. I think those were her exact words, that or that he was offsetting the balance of the house or something. That him being there was was causing a disturbance in the balance, and that he needed oh, to go course, because of, right. yes, mm-hmm. that he needed to go because of that. And we do get to see a glimpse of at least one of his brothers. I, I thought so. Yes, he's going to towards Marion. Yes. Were, are we supposed to assume that they were some of the ghosts that couldn't move on in the house, or that I just I feel like they they felt like they started to run out of time with the movie and they just skipped over a lot of things that should have been explained better. I didn't necessarily need a bunch of exposition on it, but maybe she could have mentioned whenever she was going over Ben's history, like, I've met his brothers, they're stuck here too. Like, something could have been said to that degree. Sure. But it kind of seems like they just came out of nowhere. Uh, I mean, maybe we're just supposed to assume that he summoned them to his cause. I mean, that's possible too, I guess. Then they're going after Marion, who's giving herself the biggest pep talk talk of all time in the basement. Ben is going after Sarah. And he doesn't necessarily seem to care about what's his head. Bryce? Yeah. Well, she says about he fears something in this room. She's able to tell that from him, I guess. But just a real quick side note. I guess he gets knocked out of the room or... At some point, I, I was still falling asleep at this point, And I apologize. Super unprofessional. Because you know we're professionals. But at some point, he hacks through the floor with a hatchet. Yes. So he got dragged out of the room the same way that Mutton Chops got dragged out. Yes. And then part of the building collapsed because of the earthquake. And then when he's on his way back up, that's when he gets the 13 nails from the slave ghost. And he goes up the the stairway that he kept, he and Henry kept getting yes. led to was the one that was closed off and it went into the trophy room. Yes. And then he uses a freaking hatchet. To break through that. And let me tell yes. you, I've used a hatchet before to chop through a medium log. And it was fucking hard. <laughs> like, really hard. And it took a long time. So you're saying that a doctor that's a drug addict likely... Oh, I'm not saying that. I'm saying in that small space, for him to cut through the, the floorboards the way he did that quickly and that efficiently, those floorboards must have been pretty fucked up to begin with. <laughs> but that's just a side note, to just in case you guys are interested in my hatchet history. <laughs> Which I know some of you Your history Wait a minute. Vigorously about <laughs> But Ben and Sarah He possesses Sarah Oh yeah the timing Thank goodness that Price got that last nail Into the trophy case that he was nailing Into the floor over the hole Right before midnight Like three seconds before midnight With the gun That he thought was the <laughs> MacGuffin He needed to kill this thing He uses it to smash into nails. As yeah. a hammer. Because <laughs> he didn't have any other guns he could have used. <laughs> and then they realize that it's not the gun, that he's actually scared of the bullet because the bullet was used to kill him, so it's super close to death or something. There's a strong connection to bullshit. The afterlife or something, I don't know. <laughs> ben pulls some weird telekinesis bullshit and makes every gun in the room start floating along with all of the broken glass. Magneto style. And somehow it looks worse now than it did in 2002 when X-Men came out. (laughs) Yeah. And he's only, 
I don't know. He was going to use all of the guns, but I don't understand why he was also lifting glass. I guess he couldn't control his telekinesis enough to not lift the glass with the guns. It would have been really funny if all the glass cocked, too, like the guns. (laughs) 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 But he cocks all the guns to shoot Price, and then Price realizes that he needs to use his only bullet. He literally only has one shot to kill Ben, Mm. and then disappears briefly. And then Ruby's voice appears in Price's head. He's like, oh, yeah, like, I, I, I just need to believe. And then he reappears, and then he shoots him. Yes. That is what happened. Also, and just a quick note. Did they store all those guns with the bullets in them? Apparently. I had wondered about that, too. <laughs> or did, was he putting, like, ghost bullets in them? Uh, in which case, no, should we have really been concerned? I, there, were, I, there were definitely bullets in there, and... Oh, so they're I mean, called cartridges. Okay, call them shells. Or shells. Do we see, what's the little kid's name, Henry? Henry. Did we see him loading one of the guns that he no. presumably pulls out of? Okay, so maybe they are stored with bullets in them? I don't know, was that a thing well, back then? I think that they are stored with bullets in them because I think that the room needed to be exactly like the room was. I mean... But that, I mean, those are all stored with bullets in Yeah, them. granted, back, you know, 1902, Cartridges, I meant. 1902? <laughs> in 1902, people probably didn't have quite the same disdain for their fellow man as we do now, but still, no, would you really... It depends on the man. Would you or really, woman. Or woman. Thank you. But would you really store implements of death with ammunition in them in a showroom where people could walk in and pull them off? No. I honestly don't think that they cared that much. And I think that most of those cases were probably locked. I mean, they had glass fronts, but I think that most of them were locked. But in any, in any regardless, case, it's irrelevant. It's just it one is. more... It's a plot hole. It's just one more instance of lazy writing in this movie. Yeah, I don't understand why they, they were stored with them in them in the original room or in the, the new room. The reason why I think that it had to be that way in the original room is because even though Sarah was willing to bring all of the guns in... I don't think that she would have been willing to bring them in with bullets unless she felt that it was necessary to complete the room, if that makes sense. Sure. I think it's really funny that he comes into the house and Marion is like, you don't have any guns on you, do you? Because Sarah hates guns. And then Sarah's like, I want all the guns that Winchester has ever made brought into my house. I don't know. I just thought it was funny. And again, she says that. It's like, which ones do you want, ma'am? And she's like, all of them. All right. I'm like, no question, but... No problem. Also, he's apparently not just a contractor. He's apparently a do-it-all, like, just fixes everything. Yeah, he's a fixer, for sure. He's like (laughs) a wet work guy. So that's basically the end of the movie. Henry and Marion are fine. I'm annoyed that a carriage doesn't show up for Henry to take him to the hospital because he called Gates for that and then never canceled it. Yeah. and Well, maybe he got stuck in the earthquake or something. Maybe. That's that's possible. But, But, hey, we, we, we missed the part where... After she tells him about the talking tubes in his wall, uh, and then he hears noises, yeah, it's fucked up. The finger coming yeah. out of the hole, yeah. Which I predicted. Yeah. Actually, I predicted it was going to be an eyeball. Like, there's going to be an eyeball. But then, like, yeah, he's a little finger coming out, and I'm like, ah. Presumably rubies, because that was from the greenhouse. From Ew! The room. I'd be like, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Why did I marry you? Also, so, at the very, yeah. very end of the movie, nails start coming out of the boards in the sealed-off rooms. And that's supposed to make us concerned for some reason. That was lame sauce. 
I don't know why, because we've already seen that these ghosts apparently have some goodwill to do something helpful. And sure, maybe they were worried because there was a more powerful ghost that was upsetting the balance. But, like, at this point, I don't care. I'm not concerned about these ghosts at all. Like, what reason do I have I ain't to scared be... of no ghosts. Exactly. It, it would have been like... awesome if they had showed up at the end of the movie. <laughs> it felt like they were literally just setting it up for a sequel, which that movie doesn't need a sequel. You can just let it go. Let it go. Let let a movie be a movie. You don't need a million other ones. Mm-hmm. I don't understand where, like, how we got into this culture of needing a sequel to every movie that comes out. I don't know. It's but just, it's stupid. It's just content and money. Like, it's easier to make a sequel to something that's already known than it is to take a risk on something, which is why we see so many rehashes of a different movie. By the way, I swear, and maybe, listeners, if you know this movie, please let us know, but I swear that I watched a movie within the past four or five years, and I can't remember which one of my co-hosts I watched it with, but I know I watched it with one of them, that was so similar to this movie. I remember, I believe I remember there being rooms that had to be locked with nails. I don't remember remember how many nails it had to be. And I remember there was the the climax of the movie where he was trying to, like, hammer nails into a, a doorway to close it and seal it off forever. And I believe, if I remember correctly, the nails were made from bullets or something like that. Was it the nun? No, it wasn't The Nun. It wasn't something like that. It was definitely like a, a lower budget movie that we saw somewhere. That I was going to really say, that, into... that we watched that, the three of us watched that together. Yeah, also didn't have a ton of impact on me. But anyway, I'm sorry. I'm being a super like Debbie Downer about this movie and kind of an asshole, but I'm sorry. I just didn't really care for it. Michelle and Alyssa at Madhouse Designs offer a selection of adorable masks, keychains, and tumblers. Their designs are so cute and cover a range of different themes, including The Little Mermaid and Hocus Pocus. The best part? Most of them are customizable. Check out their shop at etsy.com slash shop slash Madhouse Designs store to see what they have to offer. Let's do our rating first this week. Okay. Now, I'm going to start with Max. You said that it had an 18% on Rotten Tomatoes, ooh, ooh, and you didn't sure. agree with that. Can I suggest a, bolt, or a rating for this movie, well, a rating I, system? Well, I, I wanted to do percentages this time. Oh, we did that before, though. And well, I wanted to do percentages because I wanted to see how his percentage stacked up to the Rotten Tomatoes percentage. Okay. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, uh, 14% on Rotten Tomatoes. 14%. 14%. 14%. 14%. But 82% percent. of Google users liked it. Hmm. But I think that's just a like or not. Uh, boy. I would give it like a 65%. Okay. I like guns. Is that your overall or your scariness? That's my overall. Okay. I like guns. I Particularly historical weapons like the Winchester repeating rifle. Like that. That was one of the things that changed history. Especially in the Old West. Mm-hmm. And it is an extremely historical weapon. And it was kind of cool to see events that vaguely orbit that. Yeah. And I like the clothes. I like... I like... This idea of like having lamps, like oil lamps, that's how you see like light and stuff. It's just it's quaint, it's it's antique and I like it. And yeah, as far as scariness goes, I'd give it a two maybe. A two percent? Yeah. <laughs> but so I, I liked it. I don't regret having watched it. They did well to stick with their, their time period. Yes. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. So I will say that there were things about the movie that I did like. And I'm, I'm sorry that I sound like an asshole about it. I just think that there were bits and pieces of this movie that were great. They just belonged in a better movie, unfortunately. Uh, I would honestly give this movie, if we're doing percentages, I'd give it 35%. There were things about it that I, like Max, I really enjoyed. They did a good job sticking with their time period. I do. I also really appreciated some of the lore that they built in, like 
ghosts coming back to the origin, like coming back to somebody who's tied to the weapons that, that used were used to kill them. Like I think that's a really cool idea. I like that a lot. I just think that it belongs in a movie that would have spent more time playing with that idea in a way that had more impact, I guess. Um, so yeah, 35% overall. Then scary, I think two is fair. 2% is, is pretty fair. There was really only one scene in this movie that I thought was creepy and scary. And that was, I think we're probably going to have the same one, but that's, you know, the girl climbing up the stairs. It was quick and it was creepy and she was like bending weird. That was it. So... I'm generally gentler on movies than my co-hosts are for a plethora of reasons, mostly because I don't give a shit about a lot of the continuity issues that they tend to have issues with. <laughs> However, <laughs> I'm only going to give this one a 55% overall, which is weird for me. I love the Winchester house itself. I love the lore behind the Winchester house. I love that they stuck to that for the most part, for the... For most of the movie, obviously, it was based on actual events, which means about 2% of that was correct. But <laughs> yeah. I would have been able to give it a better rating overall if it hadn't completely gone to shit in the last 20 minutes. And that's what upsets me, is that they had such a good movie and they were doing such a good job. And then they were like, here are all of these things that don't fit together and we're not going to explain to you. But, I mean, I liked the idea of the fact that Price had been killed by one of the guns. I liked the idea that his wife was trapped in the house. Those are things that, okay, maybe they were a little bit predictable and stupid, but, like, at the same time, I just kind of appreciated them. But the ghosts not really knowing where they stand on things, different things about that just really annoyed me. My scary rating, I'm probably going to give, like, a 15%. I feel like I was... They did a really good job of putting me on edge for most of the movie, just waiting for scary shit to happen. But, I mean, most horror movies do that. I spend most horror movies going, no, it's gonna happen, and feeling uncomfortable. So, <laughs> um... Yeah, I spend most horror movies going, I know it's gonna happen. <laughs> I mean, even though I know what's gonna happen, like, the mirror scene, even I, though I knew there was gonna be a jump scare, like, my heart was still pounding a little bit, like, waiting for it to happen. And that's why I don't mind jump scares, because... I like, like, the adrenaline leading up to it, not necessarily the scare itself. Like, mm -hmm. I like waiting for it, I guess. The anticipation. Mm, the feeling of unease. Yeah. That's that's probably my favorite part of jump scares. Okay. So, Max, what was your favorite part of the movie? Mm. Or favorite thing about the movie? Mm. My favorite thing? Augustine, the butler. Yeah, Augustine. Okay. The tall butler? Yeah, the tall butler. The real butler. Okay. Not the creepy butler with the bad accent. <laughs> yes. I liked Augustine, and mostly because he was played by uh, Bruce Spence. I don't know, he just did it really well. And like, when I picture a butler, that's what I picture. Like, he'll fucking sit outside your room all night because that's what he was told to do. Yeah. No matter how uncomfortable it is, or whatever. That chair did look uncomfortable. Like, he's such a big guy, it looked kind of small and, like, uncomfortable. Although, for 1906, so. it was probably, like, the most comfortable chair in the world. And only had two nails sticking out of his seat. Right, yes. He kind of was lurchy. I feel uh, like he could have played lurch <laughs> in his younger years. He's a very tall man. Yeah. And I think um, for that movie, he was like stooped. Yes. Yeah. I think my favorite part, <clears throat> there's a scene where, what did you say her name was? Which one? The the mother. Marion? Mary. Where Marion asks him something like, have you ever known anyone with these disorders? Or have you ever been able to help someone with these kinds of disorders before? 
And he says yes, and she asks what happened, and he says I died. Yeah. And I, I'm sorry, like I'm butchering that line, and I don't I don't remember it well because I was like I said I was very tired when I watched this movie, and that was my fault. But unfortunately, still have a full time job, got to worry about. But that's neither here nor there. I really like that line a lot. I really like that. It was it was sad and it was really unexpected. And I'm gonna kind of go into a little bit of a diatribe here, but. I actually, that was one of the things I really, really liked about this movie a lot. And I could see that character being something almost akin to like a Constantine type character where somebody, I mean, he died and he died through a really sad set of circumstances where he, whether she was actually being haunted because now he knows ghosts exist or whether she was crazy, who knows, but he wasn't able to save his wife and she accidentally shot him before shooting herself. And again, unfortunately, his wound wasn't fatal, so he's left behind with this terrible survivor's guilt and this strange connection to the afterlife because he's died for three minutes, which it sounds to me like a, a, a cool setup to a, a Constantine-type character. And I really liked that a lot, and I love that line, the way that he delivered that. Yeah. She asks, you know, were you able to help, or, you know, what, what happened? And he says, I died. My favorite part of the movie was Sarah Winchester. Helen Mirren did a wonderful job. Her outfit, her demeanor, her kind of weird charm that she had, and specifically her relationship with Price. She knows that he doesn't believe her, and she's perfectly okay with that. You can tell that she's just tired. She's just done. and But she can't be done, and that sucks. And so <laughs> I just really appreciate her and, and her relationship with Price. So. All right. Least favorite part. Boy. Yeah. That's a tough one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the lack of coherence. <laughs> it's, none of it's really well explained. Hmm. I, I would disagree. I think that the first three quarters of the movie were really well explained, and then they <sighs> forgot what the fuck they were doing for the last 20 minutes. I don't know. Even then, it kind of seemed like they couldn't make up their mind about things. Meh, maybe. I was just really frustrated at how predictable this movie. Like, a lot of the movies that we watch are going to be predictable anyway, and you're going to kind of know what's coming. But this movie was just shot for shot. Like Max said earlier about knowing that it was going to be three times. The first time that he did it and it wasn't there, I was like, okay, it's going to be another two times. Like, it's going to happen. And shot for shot, it happened. Exactly. Just things being that predictable and that expected means that I'm never going to be scared of this movie. And that was really frustrating because I watch these movies because I want to be scared. And if I know what's coming, I'm going to fall asleep even if I'm not tired, which I was. <laughs> so my least favorite part was basically the last 20 minutes of the movie. It completely fell apart for me. They spent the entire movie doing a really good job of building up the lore and staying pretty within the lines of their writing. And then they got to the last 20 minutes and they were like, okay, well then how's this going to happen? Well, I mean, these other ghosts are here so they can do something, right? It just didn't feel like everything fit and like they were grasping at straws to make it fit within an hour and a half hour and 40 minutes yeah all right uh max scariest part well probably the stair lady yeah sorry but that's what i said earlier that we're all probably on the same part yeah that was really the only scary part in the movie (laughs) so ditto i actually disagree i think it was the butler being behind the mirror even though it was predictable when we were waiting for that jump scare i was waiting for the jump scare in the stairwell too i mean 
as soon as the, the footsteps faded, I expected something to pop out somewhere, whether it was Sarah opening the door, like, violently and, and startling him, or a ghost popping out of somewhere. I expected something to happen in that stairwell, so it was just as predictable for me. But my focus was on the fucking chair in the corner, and then... <laughs> Out of nowhere, the the butler appeared behind the mirror, and that startled the shit out of me. So I think that was probably the scariest part for me. All right. Max, you had a book or story recommendation for this week? I did. Uh, It's actually a short film on YouTube called La Noria. It's very well computer animated. And it's a little confusing, but it's kind of sad and it's sweet. And I really like it. It's a a good little horror short. La Noria. La Noria. Interesting. Okay. I'm sorry, how do you spell it again? Uh, La, like L-A. And then N-O. N-O-R-I-A. Okay. La Noria. La Noria. I don't think we did any of our normal housekeeping stuff at the beginning. I don't know that we had any normal housekeeping stuff at the beginning. Oh, I'm sure there was something we probably said we were going to look into and we didn't. So let's just Literally assume... Literally every week. Let's assume that we did look into it and we confirmed that we were actually right. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're always right. So... <laughs> Good job on that thing that you said. (laughs) Turns out we were all right. So if you have a suggestion for us, go ahead and email us at houndsofhorrorpod at gmail.com. You can also check out our Facebook page. I may be getting an Instagram up soon. So just check out all of those things and send us some emails. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. Correct us on our political correctness. Um, And yeah, that's basically it. Thanks for listening, you guys. We Uh, really appreciate it. Please like, download, subscribe. What's our movie? What's our movie for next week? We always forget this part. (laughs) I didn't forget. I was actually getting to it. So, our movie for next week, I think it's my pick. I believe so. It was Brightburn, It Follows, and then, yeah. Yep. Alright. So, I've been having a really hard time narrowing this down, but I've decided that we should check out the movie Don't Breathe. Because I've wanted to watch it for a while now. It's a good movie. So, I've heard from multiple different people. And I'm excited to check it out because I've heard a lot of people say that it, it is a fresh take on a somewhat overdone genre. So I'm interested. I would agree. Okay. So yes. This is just your way of forcing me to watch it. That's all it is. Uh, no, that would be Triangle, which we're going to get to at some point. Oh. Not right now. Not right now. <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm waiting until one of you pick a movie that we all hate. And I'm going to be like, you know what? I don't feel so bad about it anymore. If you make us do Triangle, I'm going to make us all do Feast. I'm making us all watch Bad Ben. <laughs> well, then I'm going to retaliate with Tusk. <laughs> Which you haven't seen yet. Yeah. <laughs> Sharknado bitches. <laughs> anyway, so breathe. Check out Don't Breathe. And uh, tune in next time, and we'll talk about it. And, yeah, that's it. Thanks for listening. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Hounds of Horror. If you enjoyed our podcast and would like to know how to support us, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash houndsofhorrorpod. If you support us on Patreon, you get access to some cool Patreon-only items, or just have the satisfaction of knowing that you're helping us create more content.